Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. Hello, and welcome to ADCES's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm your host, Kirsten Yale, the Associate Director for Research at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Today's podcast was recorded on-site at ADCES 22 in Baltimore, Maryland last August. For all of you listening who couldn't attend in person, I'm happy that you still have the opportunity to learn from this conference speaker on today's episode. Our guest is Jennifer Okama, a registered dietitian, diabetes care and education specialist, and the founder of a multi-center diabetes care practice in the Seattle, Washington area. Jennifer joins us to share her experience in demonstrating the value of diabetes programs and flipping them from cost centers into revenue generators. The episode is full of practical tips diabetes care and education specialists can use to leverage their role as diabetes technology experts for new streams of revenue in their programs. She also has tips on how you can track that performance to demonstrate the value you bring to your health system. It's a valuable discussion that captures just one of the many conversations happening around new models of care at the ADCES annual conference. Make sure to save the date for our next annual conference in Houston, Texas from August 4th through 7th, when we're celebrating 50 years of advancing diabetes care and education. Learn more at adcesmeetings.org. Enjoy the show. Jennifer, welcome to the huddle. Thank you. I am such a huddle fan. I'm so glad to participate in this. Well, I'd love for you to maybe introduce yourself to, to everybody. Yes. Um, so my name's Jennifer Okima. I am in the Seattle area mostly, and um, I'm a diabetes care and education specialist. Um, I have started three programs out of nothing and got them accredited all three different pathways that were possible then. So there was um, ADA pathway, there was um, IHS, which no longer is a credentialing pathway, but it was, and that's Indian Health Service. So I've worked with tribes for years as well. And then AADE, which is ADCES. So I've gone through all three pathways for accreditation and I've ran diabetes programs. And in doing that, I noticed in my area and nationwide, diabetes programs were going under is what we said. They were just always operating in the red and through hospital systems and other organizations, they were being funded by their foundations or by a big bucket of money that the corporations had or organizations. And then when cuts had to happen, diabetes programs were being cut and they were told that they're not fiscally making it so they need to be cut. So I took a really, really hard look at why that was happening. And the second diabetes program that I started was in a hospital. It was a hospital system, but it was in a small hospital about 45 minutes out of Seattle. And when I started that program, I was doing everything by textbook, everything I was supposed to do and got the program to accreditation. 
Uh, it was a nurse friend of mine and myself who ran the program. And then when it came down to me wanting to make sure it was fiscally responsible, I found out everything that could have gone wrong had been going wrong and was completely overwhelmed with what does this mean? Just for example, I asked for a simple report showing us the revenue that we were bringing in. And we got a report saying, well, you're, you're not bringing any money in. In fact, we're funding you to stay open because we think this is a good thing for the community. Great for that, not great for being fiscally responsible and having a voice of our own of what we needed. It, and this, the story that I'm going to tell you is not unique. We answered to the marketing department because they didn't know where to put us under. So we didn't even have a clinical oversight, but that's the, I mean, there's really, really weird stories out there that are happening now still because they don't know where to put you. But I also didn't feel very strong as a program, knowing that we could keep this program in the community if it was costing the hospital money. So I said, well, I know that we're busy. I know we're seeing patients. I know we're running our group diabetes classes. Where is our money going? And the billing department said, well, um, it's going to your referring providers. And I said, why? And I realized at that point that every single question to this day that I ask a billing department is like turning over a rock <laughs> and finding out there's even more questions. And so then I thought, well, I'm just going to have to study this and learn what exactly I need to track, what I need to follow, what's going on. I spent five years there and there was a point where I looked at that program and I looked at the hospital administration and the billing department. I ended up making friends with somebody in the billing department. So I started to get a lot better reports and really know what was going on. And then I realized we're the Titanic and we were about to hit an iceberg. <laughs> so I told my nurse partner. And so we, we jumped off the Titanic and got on a lifeboat and sailed away and, and survived. But after that, I opened up another diabetes program in another organization that did not, they had endocrinology and primary care and cardiology, and, but they did not have anything for diabetes. And the endocrinologist had been referring to me and he said, Jen, when are you going to come work with me? And I said, I'll let you know when, I, when that happens. So I talked to him and he said, all right, you're going to come work with me. And he said, how much do we pay you? So by this point, I already knew what billing codes were bringing in. And I told him, I don't think you can afford me. I'm a registered dietitian. I am board certified in advanced diabetes management, uh, CDCES. I'm also a CSSD, which is a, a, a specialization in sports dietetics and certified on every pump, every device that comes out of the FDA. That is always my goal. So I have experience and um, I told them, you, you can't really afford me. And I gave him an, an amount per hour as a salary. And he said, I, we can't afford that. And it's ironically the, a little bit higher than an amount that nurses were asking for, but he, and that's why I explained my experience because I have a master's degree. I, um, and I said, well, this is how much I'm worth. And he said, we can't afford that. I knew, I knew they could because I know what money was coming in through billing codes. And I said, that's fine. Why don't you hire me? Why don't you let me run the department? And we create our own department. So I'm not under endocrinology 
and I will pay myself and bring in the money and, and create that department. Really grateful that this organization gave me that bandwidth to do it because it was the opportunity for me to test what I have known and have been learning. In doing that, I'm pretty sure I made every mistake anybody could make. I've made every mistake and I keep making mistakes, but I also don't, risk doesn't scare me. It's calculated risk. So I know that, all right, I'm going to run this billing code and I'm going to see what happens and I'm going to watch this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to just figure this out. And then I'm going to do, after I have information, I'm going to do the, the safest, best bet that I know that we can still make money. So the first two years of that program, I purposely paid myself very low brought over the nurse that I um, was working with as a partner at the other organization and paid her more than me um, because I needed to keep her on board. But also I knew that I was taking that risk with, with my own pay. That was two years into it. She ended up going someplace else. I hired other people. The program grew. We ended up having five locations embedded in endocrinology and primary care but I get 100% control over this budget. So they were like, good luck, have fun with that. So that first two years were pretty rough, but we, and what they let me do is they let me borrow money out of, like I had to pay rent and employees. And I, basically it was very much a private practice model and they were there as a safety net. And so any revenue that I got, I would just pay back whatever um, it, I needed to function, if that makes sense. It does. It does. Can I can I jump in for a second sure. and ask you a question? You know, we know, especially in healthcare, that collaboration is key. And the question that's kind of hit me as listening to you is where does the DCES belong? Like to have the most impact on people with diabetes? Gosh, um, where do they not belong? If somebody has or is at risk for diabetes, we could be at every touch point there because we're such a resource, but we should definitely be in primary care. Because what I find is that not to be not to be overly dramatic, but we kind of save them with being collaborative and confident in what we do. And patients go back to them and say, why have I, I've never known these people existed. Why did you never send them to me? This is great. So primary care, for sure, we definitely need to be there. And endocrinology, for sure. Uh, weight management programs, um, that's another thing that there should, uh, CDCES should be in that area. I know some that reach out to podiatrists, to retail pharmacy. We should be in a lot more places than we are. The problem is, is we've got to be able to, we've got to be able to bring the money in to show that, which- right. Fortunately, we can. Well, and that's what you're going to talk us through today, right? So, and I've heard you say before, both in conversations and I've heard you talk about this, about the DCES having a voice. Where can you advocate for yourself? Where can you have a voice? And I, I could be wrong, but I, th I think it starts there. Maybe you could, you know, shed some light there on, on your, your your take on that and maybe some of your experiences and, and some of the consulting work you've done. Well, I think that um, one of the voices that we have is what it is that we do. 
when I approached primary care and um, even even now continually to whoever, I, I actually branch out to uh, NDs, naturopath doctors. They need us. In the state of Washington, uh, ANRPs can practice solo. And so they're a market that I look at a lot because you know, if you're a healthcare provider, you're you're going to be involved in diabetes at some point and you may need help, like 90% of them need help with somebody um, who does know it. And that's one of our sales points to them is that you guys, you have to know everything. You've got, you're in, you know, primary care. You've got to know a little bit about everything. We focus on diabetes and we know it really, really well. And not only do we know it well, but we will help your patients get to the point, if they know what a HEDIS score is, H-E-D-I-S, we will get their HEDIS scores improved to where they actually make more money off of their patient billing. We don't have that advantage, but I can use that as a marketing piece. I can improve your HEDIS score, help your patients get to goal, and you will make more money off of doing that. But not only that, we offer that support. So I think a lot of it is that I explain to them what it is that we do, our role, and that we get their patients back to them. So we encourage them to get back to their provider because there is that undercurrent kerfuffling where providers think they're going to lose their patient, that they're not like, that's why they don't refer to, to endo sometimes. Not only is access to endo difficult, but when you're in an area, an urban area like I am, there are endos around, but primary care doesn't refer because they don't want to lose the care of that patient. So this way, they don't lose the care of the patient. We don't use the same billing codes that they use. Our billing codes are based on time spent with patient, not number of patients. Just explaining that model to them, they usually will throw, all right, we'll just throw you one. And, you know, they'll throw us somebody that that they're like, good luck with this one. This has been really, this is uncontrolled and, you know, all of the bad words of uh, taking care of somebody with diabetes, which we welcome. We're like, yes, these are our people. This is exactly what we do. And when that patient goes back to that physician and says, wow, that was amazing. Why didn't I know that these people existed? Then, you know, you got it. Then, you know, that you've got that, that provider understands what it is that you do. So where we fit is in a lot of different places. And that could mm -hmm. be something if you're listening to this podcast and you're trying to figure out what billing codes to use and what to do for your department, look around to figure out where you are and is there a better place for your department or for you as a DCES? So, you know, when you have this network or this, this web, right, that is where the DCES is, you know, should be, that this, we should be working with all of these groups and that that's how the person with diabetes is going to get the best support. Right. But then how do you, how do you advocate or have a voice and how, if you're working with so many different groups and thinking with that administrator's hat on, how do you account for those dollars? Because there is dollars flowing in here. Right. Especially when we think about technology and that and that, that's really where you specialize in is monetizing technology. So I love to help out our group, even in my area. There's no competition. We're here to help each other. We are. There's lots of patients with diabetes. And if we can help each other figure this out, we're stronger together. So so I don't mind helping anybody out. And I guess that's one of the first things is to find your voice is to 
reach out and and ask other organizations, how are you doing this? How are you doing that? And I think that you'd be surprised that they would answer. They would be really happy to help out. So I think in advocating and finding that voice, it first had to come from within. How do I explain to people what I do? Because I know that we have that well, I don't, I guess I can't speak for everybody, but when somebody says, hi, Jennifer, it's really nice to meet you. What do you do for a living? I always take a deep breath, like, oh my gosh, how much time do we have? <laughs> I don't, how do I say that? And, and I think that elevator speech, they call it, you know, that few second elevator speech took me a long time to figure out because I love what I do. And I make a huge mistake of not calling it work, which it's a mistake because I work many, many hours a week, but I, it's not work. So I love to do it. So it's, but I don't want, you know, it's an elevator speech. I don't want to bore someone to death. So I had to figure out how do I take the, I, I, my classically trained as a registered dietitian, but I don't say that because I do diabetes. So I say that I say, well, I specialize in diabetes. Oh, are you an endocrinologist? No, I'm not an endocrinologist. Oh, are you a doctor? No, I'm not a doctor. So, I mean, it just kind of gets a little bit more intricate. So finding that voice of saying what it is that you do from the inside out, I think really helped out and the value that you bring. And, and I'm not, I mean, monetizing is the value because I do want to get to that, but the value that you bring to patient care. I think is the most focused message because as multidisciplinarians, we sort of get lost in the matrix of healthcare when we get pigeonholed on, um, if you say, well, I'm a diabetes educator. Oh, are you a nurse? Yeah, I'm a nurse. Okay. So you're a nurse. So then we, there's that pigeonhole. Are you a diabetes educator? Yes, I am. I'm a pharmacist. Oh, so you're a pharmacist. So we, we get pigeonholed on these, on these core curriculums that we are, but it's the language that healthcare is used to registered dietitian, registered nurse, you know, um, pharmacist. And then we throw, you know, a, a, uh, diabetes educator, social worker, or an MCHES at them. And then they're like, Whoa, what? <laughs> I don't get it. I think the focus and the marketing on the diabetes care and education specialist is really the message. This is what we are. This is what we do. And we are happy to take care of your patients. We know how to do this and give us a try that your, your patients will love it. So I think that that's that message that has been the most efficient. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the DCES is a great group to work with. And that, that that's like, that's like step number one, right? You know, I, I get these, I see these quotes once in a while, but this one was perfect. I, I think it summed up what you were saying was follow your enthusiasm. Yeah. It's something I've always believed in. Find those parts of your life that you enjoy the most, do what you enjoy doing. Yeah. And when I heard you talking, I was like, that is what I'm hearing from you. And I think that's what all DCESs really do. Everybody that I talk to, this is why they land here. But here's the thing, you can do what you enjoy doing, but we know we work in these health systems that are intense yeah and you have to monetize it yeah and we this is where your genius is jennifer this is where this is what you've been able to put into practice so well like what are those questions that the dces can ask or those points or how, how does the dces find their voice ask the right questions go to the right people within a big health system and say you know what we do bring value we're actually bringing a 
big financial boom to your organization. We have the ability to to do that. We may not be doing that. We may be losing oh. money. And I think that really is the first question. And what while we were talking about doing what you want to do for, as a passion, let me just tell you that reimbursement and billing codes is nobody's passion. That is a great point. <laughs> I do not have a passion for billing codes. I had to learn them for survival and I got really good at it. And I, um, and I kind of, or not kind of, I do preach to people, know your billing codes better than your billing department because we're in this really weird gray area where every time you go to your billing department, which is the, the answer to your question is what can the DCES do? The very first thing that you are allowed to do and that you should do is get a report, ask for a report and ask them for a revenue report, YTD, a year to date revenue report, just start somewhere request the report and request it because let let whoever you're you're requesting it to let them know that you are interested in the revenue for your department or even if you are billing off of your own npi you can get a report on your npi how much am i bringing to the organization there's nothing wrong with asking for the reports you're not asking them for personal information any organization should and would happily give you this report. The people that run the reports love to run reports and they will run so many reports you won't even know what they mean, which is a little overwhelming. But the very first one you can ask for is, can you give me a revenue report year to date? Can you compare that to last year? So you can see what your department or, or you yourself are bringing in. You can also have them run reports based on billing codes. And if you want to get the most basic information, you can ask them about the G codes, G0108, G0109. If you're an accredited program, those are the billing codes that are the most commonly used that are interdisciplinary. But I go beyond G codes. And that is um, one of the discussions I like to have that I like to talk is beyond G codes and beyond MNT. MNT is medical nutrition therapy, and those are codes that just registered dietitians can bill. We've known those, and our organization has, has provided resources and educated us and all sorts of things on those sets of codes. So I want to move beyond that. I want to go into the fact that we are seeing CGM, and we are doing pumps, and we are doing smart insulin pen training, and we're doing all of this other work that we love. and how do we bill for that? Is everything a G code? And the answer is no, not everything's a G code, but we still use them. They're still important. And there is a, there's a time and place for G code. So don't discount it, but there's other, there's other billing codes. There's the CGM billing codes, 95250, 95249, 95251. So we're doing that work. How do we create processes that we can build those billing codes is really where my talk started out from. Um, the other thing is we're doing a lot of insulin pumps. And if you bill a G code for a two hour insulin pump training, you're not bringing into your organization what they're paying, not even enough to pay you your wage. So the organization is losing money. And that's one approach that I, that I think people have a voice in is to, to care or to 
pretend to care or to try to care about your organization losing money because they will listen if you take that approach. So, okay, review the year-to-date revenue report. Yes. Look beyond the G codes and the right. MMT codes and look to see if pumps, smart pens, CGMs, if those, if revenue is being generated. So how do you bring in more? So a couple of things. One is that if you're doing a lot of pumps, find out from your organization if you can get a contract with that pump company mm-hmm. because the pump company will pay you, pay your organization to do that training. And we have some or we have some organizations that refuse to get um, pump contracts. The compliance person says we can't do that, which is actually incorrect because their cardiology departments have contracts with Medtronic Cardiology. They've got they've got contracts. So when it comes to diabetes, for some reason, when we ask questions, the mommy and daddy of the organization loves just to say no before you even get the sentence out of your mouth. Um, where the no comes from when they say, no, we can't do pump contracts, it comes from a place of years ago where insulin pump companies would ask for, they would ask the organization, would you like to go into contract with us with the thought that you will not go into contract with any other pump company? So it was an exclusive contract. That's a problem. That is a problem for our patients because they're not getting access to a product most likely that could help them or everybody's going on the same product. There's absolute ethical issues with that. So I do, I do believe that. It's like a monopoly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just unfair to our patients, but this is actually our history that people really don't talk about very much is that we would go into contract with one company, one company only. Every patient got the same product. It's definitely an ethical situation. But if you ask your organization, I would like to go into contract with a pump company, but I actually want to go into contract with all the pump companies. Which a DCES can do because they're the ones that understand the technology. Now, somebody like a non-DCES who just don't have the time in their practice isn't going to have the time to understand all the technologies. And then it does become this monopoly issue for the patient. Yes. So let's have all the contracts. And, And if you get a contract with a company, you still, you actually become certified in their product, which is their certification, which is another thing is that a CPT is a certified pump trainer, but that's not a credential that is through a company. So that if I get a resume that somebody has CPT behind them, they're either a certified personal trainer, (laughs) which I hope that means, but it's not a credential that you, that you use um, because like tandem uses TPT, a, a tandem pump trainer. And so it's not a, not a usable thing, but you get certified on their product which makes you even better at what you do because you know their product and you know their reps and their reps will help you in a heartbeat. So you've you've created a revenue pathway by getting a contract. When you have a contract with that pump company, you do a pump training, the company pays your organization. So it's not, they don't pay you, they pay your organization. And then you can leave the um, billing codes open to where when they come back for a follow-up or you're managing their pump or you're helping them out, you're reserving the billing codes. So that's another sales point to your department is that we are reserving billing codes. It allows us to operate at the highest level of our practice, provide services that patients will go someplace else for, they don't have to come here. They can go someplace else. So why aren't we able to do this? 
it seems like you're hinting at like um like historical ethical issues that are still still kind of there but they they're not a lot of organizations do have a lot of hospital systems do have pump contracts so they do it's just the stickler ones that still think it's unethical but when you go back through the history of why that exists and explain to them you still can do this you just be be a lot more open with the contracts you get don't stick with one company so there's just going to be a little bit more work on that end but if you're and if you ask those questions of you know does well does our cardiology department what are they doing oh yeah they have a contract with you know <laughs> three different companies and so um asking those questions and and i think mm -hmm. that you can get a better focus point of what you're doing but that is one revenue stream and it's a it's a clean, clear revenue stream because we're already doing pump training. So that brings in money that, and then that's another thing that you can follow because those would be under, on your um, on your reports, those would be under, well, it depends on how they do it, but they could be under cash pay or I had my billing department split them out by companies. That way I can know like for year to date, how much have we brought in from Medtronic, from Insulet, from Tandem, I, I can tell you know, like what we're bringing in. So that's really helpful because that's a little pile of money that we're not relying on insurance companies. We don't have to follow rejection and denial reports. And mm -hmm. so that's, that's very nice to have. How often do you see this not happening? I see it happening more than it used to. So I see that the trend is much better. You have to advocate for your department. You've got to know somebody that is a rep and we usually know the reps anyway. You ask the rep, hey, how do I become a, a center? One of the criteria may be, and I, and I feel like this is a catch 22 on it, is that, well, you can become a center if you're doing more of those pumps. Well, if we're doing more of those pumps, we have to lose money to, you know, to prove to you that we're doing more of these pumps. But here's what I will tell you, and this is me talking to the rep. I will tell you that if we are in contract with your company, it's going to be a lot easier. We're not in sales and I will never sell your product. I'm not doing that. But if a patient wants your product, it's going to be a lot easier for us to make that happen for them. It's going to be a lot easier for us to be able to recommend this product to them because not that we make money off of it. That's not the, that's the wrong approach. It's because we've created pathways to Make sure that I'm doing your training. Um, you can come back to your clinic, you know, to see us to do your training. We're not, we're not fractionating them around everywhere, and um, so their their care is much better. Um, and the pump companies usually will listen to that. I think I heard the word center or centralized somewhere in, yeah. in, in this conversation. And it just reminded me of all these academic medical centers really centralizing over the past 10, 20 years. We're seeing this happen. Um, it's not happening everywhere. You can almost see in those big in those big academic medical centers where you could have a center, like a, di a DCES yeah. program or center where they people specialize in this. But that's not everywhere. Is there a space for consulting services or for consulting groups that could work with, be a standalone DCES group billing like this? Yeah. Working, you know, supporting smaller programs? I think that the more creative we are, the better we are. I think that when we like the issue that we're having in my area is that people are so siloed that they're not always getting the better care. So I think that the more creative we are, and I think also in diabetes, we need to understand that our population 
is getting a lot better on technology faster than we are sometimes. So they're also, they're consumers. It's not just you sit in a diabetes center and wait for patients to show up. Our patients are our customers, they're consumers. And if they have the wherewithal to say, I've done this research, I want this pump, and, and whether or not they're down the right road of where, where they end up eventually for whatever product, they come to us and they want that education. We should be able to educate them on every product. We are the educators and we should be able to make that happen for them. So that doesn't happen in siloed centers um, for a variety of reasons. So I think that the more we do have consultant type of things where we can go in and I do that, I help other organizations, they call me in and they say, can you help us with our billing verbiage of what is it that, how do we build this relationship with our billing department? What do we ask them? How do we increase the revenue? How do we, I love doing that because it's out there. It's not, it's not my money. It's not, it's, you know, it's money that's out there that you're already working your bottom off doing. You might as well make the bottom line if you're going to work your bottom off. <laughs> I, I love that. Well, you know, what I heard all the way through was this is, is way beyond G-codes, that the DCES does have a voice. Ask the right questions. Just ask questions. Be okay with that. But any, you know, big ideas, any words of wisdom that you could leave our listeners with? Um, Just understand billing codes are not fun. Nobody goes into this and just says, yay, billing codes. It's like the middle seat of the airplane. Yay, I got a middle seat again. This is fun. So it's, um, but but realize that when you do ask the question of saying, hey, can you help me out? I really want to make money for this department. And I feel like uh, I don't quite understand it, but you go in as a student learning it, uh, you will, it's a little frustrating because you're going to, it's going to be eye-opening. You're going to see things that you aren't prepared to handle. Like I had no idea that they were giving our revenue to our to our referring providers. So that was my starting point. So you can find that starting point. You can start looking at a few things. Um, we at the ADCES website, we're going to have a whole section just on reimbursement, which I'm really excited about. So asking questions, being okay to ask questions and, and getting the reports. Don't be aggressive. I think that we don't make friends in the billing department demanding things and saying, I'm a ADC or I'm a, I'm a DCS and I, this is what I do. And I really need this report. Like, be nice, you know, use your indoor voice, but not passive either. We've got a history of, um, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry to bother you. Do you think that it's okay? No, go in, say, hey, I'm really looking forward to learning more about my department. Can I have a report and just see what it looks like? I'm excited about that. Well, I'm going to leave this with, I think we all need to find our inner Nancy Drew. I love that. <laughs> We can huddle. Well, you know what, Kirsten, thank you for inviting me to, to talk. I would love to add more to this. If there's, if we have our listeners um, put in questions of some sort of what exactly do you mean about this? If there, is there another segue that we can pick this up and, and move people forward to getting these reports? Now, what do I do now? How do I look at this and what am I looking at? Well, we do. We we definitely put resources with the podcast. So um, just for our listeners will know there's resources with this. And we also post this on socials. So I am sure hopefully people are getting to the end of listening to this podcast. And then we, cannot, we always see comments on LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, we always see those comments. And so I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get a chance to respond. So, well, Jennifer, it was wonderful having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Huddle. A special thank you to Jennifer for taking the time to join us for this recording. 
Notes and resources from today's episode are linked in the show notes at diabeteseducator.org forward slash podcast. And remember, being an ADCES member gets you the access to many resources, education, and networking opportunities. Learn about the many benefits of ADCES membership at diabeteseducator.org forward slash join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. 